Welcome. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees a vision of the glory of God in his temple and he sees the angels and in verse 3 it says, And one cried unto another and saith, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Where else in the Bible do you find those three holies? Well, one place where we find it, but in a very different form, is in our psalm for today, Psalm 99, which is divided into three sections, each of which ends with the word holy. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England and I present these talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. Each week we look at a different portion of the Psalms, going through it verse by verse and word by word and seeking to understand the meaning. There is no ancient heading for Psalm 99, instead it begins in verse 1 with the words, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble, he sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. So that first statement, the Lord reigneth, God is king. And that declaration, that bold declaration that God is king, has an enormous effect upon the people in the world in the psalm. The people tremble in awe, in reverence, in respect for God and his great power and his great authority. The whole earth is moved. It's shaken with, with the power of God being seen amongst it. This could be referring to the messianic kingdom. In other words, when, when King Messiah rules, the return of Christ to rule over the, the whole world. And yet it could be describing Israel at the time of King David, because God had authority over Israel then. God was the king of Israel, although David, of course, was the appointed king to rule the nation. He was ruling as God's king. And in the middle of the verse, it declares, He, God, sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. So God is showing his royal authority by sitting between the cherubims. The cherubims means special sort of angels, angels that act as the guards of the most holy things. In the most holy room of the temple, called the Holy of Holies, there were models of two cherubim, one on each side of the Ark of the Covenant, the, the sacred box which was evidence of Israel's relationship with God. And they had their wings over that box. And the place between them is sometimes called the mercy seat. It is a place that was as it were, God's home on earth. 
God has his place, his place of royal authority, showing his mercy upon his people and ruling over the world. And it's there in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. Verse 2. So no wonder the Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. The Lord is great in Zion. Another word for Jerusalem, the name of one of the the hills that made up Jerusalem, especially in the book of Psalms, we see it referring to the place where the temple stood. So it could say here, the Lord is great in his temple and he's high above all the people, high in authority. He has authority over all the people. So they are called on in verse 3 to let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. And there you've got the first of the three holies in the psalm. The word holy means it describes how God is separate from us, how God is, is different from us. It describes how God is pure and perfect in all that he does and everything that he is. This perfect, this wonderful God, he deserves praise. He deserves honour. He deserves respect. His name, a name describes someone's character. And in the Bible, the name of God describes the character of God, the God who forgives sins, but the God who acts as a judge of those who refuse to repent and to turn back to him. God's name is great and terrible. Terrible, not in the meaning we use today. Today, when we use the word terrible, we mean extremely bad. But terrible in the King James Bible, in this context, means that God's name deserves great respect. We should give great honour to God because his name is holy. Well, that's our first section of Psalm 99, the first holy, a declaration that God is king, that he's ruling in great power and authority. Therefore, all the people should praise the great name of God. And we're on to our second section, the middle section, the second of the three holies now, which is verses four and five. Let me read you the whole section first, and then we'll take it apart. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. So that section begins at the beginning of verse 4 with reference to the king's strength. The king we're talking about here is God himself. We declared in verse 1, the Lord reigneth. In other words, the Lord is king. The phrase, the king's strength, uh, means something like the strong and mighty king. God, who is the strong and mighty king, loves judgment. God approves when there are right decisions in the courts. He expects judges to, to 
judge the people according to the law in the right and the proper way. God loves right judgment. Any good ruler or good king loves right judgment. Any good ruler wants a system of justice in his nation to operate correctly. When governments make laws, they say what should happen in the country and what shouldn't happen. But those laws would do nothing if there were not judges who sat down and listened to people's individual complaints and individual problems and made decisions according to the law. So God, our strong and mighty King, wants to see his people ruled in accordance with the laws he made. He wants to see that right and good is done among his people. Then speaking to God in the middle of verse 4, it says, Thou dost establish equity, thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Okay, we've got three similar words there which mean almost the same thing. Equity, judgment and righteousness. But I think it's useful to try and delve a little deeper into the meaning of these three words. The psalm declares that God establishes or sets up equity and it declares that God executes. He, he carries out judgment and righteousness. But what are these three words? Equity, we call that today sometimes impartiality. What it means is that when a rich person comes to the court or when a poor person comes to the court, the judge doesn't show any special kindness to the rich person because he's rich. Or if there's someone who's popular uh, and someone who's unpopular on the other side, again, the judge doesn't try to please the popular one because he is popular. Impartiality that judges listen to cases, that they consider them, that they decide each case on what is right and not on who the person is. That's equity. Thou executest judgment. We've already seen the word judgment, of course, in the first half of the verse. It's the same Hebrew word both times. It means the right and proper rule of law. It means that uh, judges hear the cases and make right decisions. And then the last word, righteousness. Well, that's saying that uh, the rights of people are respected, that, that the judge, by his judgments, is bringing about a right relationship between the people in the nation, a right relationship because it's based on law upon the law of God, which is perfect. So this is what our strong and mighty king loves. He loves that poor people should be set free from the oppression of powerful, wealthy people. He loves that people who are widows or orphans or fatherless shouldn't be weak, but they should be protected by the law. God loves these things. And he loves them, the end of verse 4, in Jacob. Jacob was the name of the uh, man from whose families Israel's people came. 
you'll know about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that Jacob. God gave to Jacob a new name. His new name was Israel. So it's using the old form of the name here, Jacob. God is the God who wants to see amongst his people Israel that the courts and the legal system are operating in a good and a right and a proper way. And so therefore, Israel's people once again are called upon to praise God, just as they were in verse 3, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. To exalt someone is to make someone higher, to appoint them to a higher place. Already in verse 2, we declared that God was high in his authority above all the people. And now we place him in an even higher place as we show even greater and greater respect to him. For he's not just the mighty judge who the people tremble at. He's not just the mighty judge which causes the whole earth to move. Verse 1. He is also the kind and good God who is the judge of his people, who sets his people free, who cares about them. So that tells us a lot about God's good and perfect character. Worship at his footstool, says verse 5. His footstool, what does that mean? The answer is, it's the name for God's temple, God's house in Jerusalem. That's clear for, from 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 2, where David calls the temple the footstool of our God. And then the final statement, the reason why we should praise God, the reason why we should exalt him and worship at his footstool is for he is holy. Yes, he is a good and perfect God, the God who is so different from us, the God who is so wonderful. We must give honour to him. So we've had two of these declarations. Uh, verse 3, for it, the holy name of God, is holy. And verse 5, for he, the Lord our God, is holy. And now we come to the last of the three holies. But before we reach it, we go into a little lesson in Israel's history. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord, and he answered them. The psalm doesn't tell us who wrote it? A lot of these psalms tell us in the heading that it was written by King David. We don't know with this psalm, but I think from that verse, maybe it was written by King David. Because you see, Moses and Aaron lived hundreds of years before King David. Uh, David, of course, had learned about them, how Moses came and set God's people free, leading them through the wilderness through the desert of Sinai. And of course, he'd have heard of Aaron too, uh, the first of Israel's high priests, uh, who was a brother of Moses 
and who led Israel's people in their worship. They were among God's priests. They were the leaders of God's priests. The word priest in the Bible sometimes has another meaning. It sometimes can mean a ruler. And Moses strictly wasn't one of Israel's priests because Israel's priests all came from his brother Aaron's family. Nevertheless, Moses and Aaron both carried out the duties of a priest in the sense that they stood between the people and God. They carried out the work of God amongst the people and they brought the people's needs before God. Some of you may be wondering at my pronunciation of the name Aaron. You probably know it as Aaron, uh, which is more correct pronunciation. Um, in these talks, though, I'm trying to use the normal pronunciation which we hear in the churches here in England, given that the King James Bible was written in England. So that's why I'm calling him Aaron. But as I say, Moses and Aaron were centuries before King David. But Samuel, David knew. It was Samuel who personally went to David as a boy and anointed him to be king over Israel. So the author of this psalm, who may be King David, was saying, yes, you had people long ago who stood in the gap between Israel's people and you, the holy God. You had Moses and Aaron, but also you had people in my own lifetime. You had Samuel, and he too called upon the name of God. When Israel had trouble, he prayed to God and God answered him. He had such a close and real relationship with God, just as Moses and Aaron had centuries ago. God is still active amongst his people. God is still working in his people. And just as Moses and Aaron called upon the Lord and he answered them, so did Samuel. Verse 7, speaking about God. He, God, spake unto them in the cloudy pillow. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. He spake to them in the cloudy pillar. This is back to Moses and Aaron going through the wilderness, led by God who appeared to them in a pillar of fire by night and in the cloudy pillar by day. In other words, a cloud went in front of Israel's people and God was present in that cloud. And that cloud was what led them through the desert for 40 years they followed the cloud and Moses and Aaron were there keeping God's testimonies, looking after the evidence of Israel's relationship with God, obeying the ordinance that he gave them, obeying God's commands, God's directions for Israel's people. They had such a close relationship with God. Verse 8. Thou answeredest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou takest vengeance of their inventions. Let's put that into modern English in case the strange form of the verbs causes you to struggle. 
Uh, you answered them, O Lord our God, you were a God that forgave them, though you took vengeance of their inventions. All I've done there is to modernise the verbs. God answered them. We've seen that in verse uh, 6, they prayed to God and God answered them. God also forgave them. He forgave them their wrong deeds. He made it possible for them to have a relationship with him. You see, God is a holy God. God is pure and perfect and people are not pure and perfect. Moses and Aaron, we read about their wrong deeds. I'll be making reference to that in a moment or two. We read about their wrong deeds, the wrong things that they did. We know Samuel too was a human. He, he was a weak person. He didn't bring up his sons to live in the right way. And yet God cared about them. God forgave their wrong deeds. God provided a means through the temple and the sacrifices for them to be in a right relationship with him. And so God, God forgave them their wrong deeds, but he didn't ignore those wrong deeds. Thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Thou tookest vengeance, in other words, you punished their inventions. That's a word which means a person's deeds. Um, sometimes it refers to God's deeds, which are entirely good, but sometimes in the Bible it refers to people's deeds, and when it does so, it generally does so in a bad sense. It's referring to people's wrongdoings. God punished the wrongdoings of Moses and of Aaron and of Samuel too. But uh, that seems to be a reference in particular to Moses' wrongdoings, and you can read about uh, the wrong thing that he did in Numbers chapter 20 and verses 7 to 12. Israel's people murmured against God. It, they were hot and they wanted water. And uh, the Lord said to, to Moses, "Is go and speak to the rock. In, on previous occasions, Moses had struck the rock and water had gushed forth. But the Lord on this occasion said to Moses, speak to the rock and the water will come from it just with a word and uh, then then there is the account in numbers 20 beginning at verse 10 let me read to you and moses and aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and he said unto them here now ye rebels must we fetch you water out of this rock and Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. God had told Moses, Speak ye unto the rock, verse 8. But Moses struck, struck the rock, it says he smote the rock, he smote the rock twice. And therefore God made a judgment against Moses, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me, in other words, to make me holy in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore 
you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So in other words, God declared that Moses and Aaron would not enter the promised land, the land of Israel, because Moses hadn't believed God. He hadn't obeyed God on that particular occasion. And God allowed Moses to see the promised land from a mountain before he died. But he did not allow Moses to enter the promised land. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Oh, how important it is for us to remember that God is a holy God, that he is pure, that he is perfect, that he must be obeyed in every way and in everything that we do. And with that thought, we come to the third holy of this psalm. Because once again, the author of the psalm in verse 9 calls upon Israel's people to praise and to worship God. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. At his footstool, it said earlier in the psalm, now it says worship at his holy hill. The meaning is the same. God's footstool, the place he rests his feet, is God's holy hill, the hill of Zion, the place where the temple was built. Worship at his holy hill. You need to remember, if you're approaching God, that you are approaching a holy God. When you come before him in prayer, when Israel's people of old came before him in the temple, they first had to wash uh, and that they prepared themselves for meeting with God. We don't need to physically wash to worship God. We don't need to physically do things, but we do need to separate ourselves from the sin, the evil deeds in our lives. We need to confess to God the wrong things that he's, that we have done. And we need to receive the forgiveness that God offers to us freely through the death of Christ. We are coming before God, a holy, a perfect God. We are coming before him who is pure. There is nothing wrong in him. There is no evil thing in him. No wonder he is a God who loves judgment, right judgment. Verse 4. And we are coming before a great God. He is king. Verse 1. Therefore, let us worship him. Let us exalt him, let us praise him and give him honour. But let us remember that the Lord our God is holy. Please write to me any comments, maybe a question. It's 333kjv at gmail.com. When you write to me, Keith Simons, remember to tell me what part of the world you're writing from. Emails don't tell you. 333kjv at gmail.com And now let me read you the whole of Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, 
for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answeredest them, O Lord our God, thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy.